all group leaders here. You made it through 2011. You all look well, healthy. That's good. It didn't kill anybody. Excellent. How many of you have already made your New Year's resolutions for 2012? Okay, see, that was better than both of the other services. You guys had four, and that's four times more than either one of the others. So, excellent. Somebody's making some preparations for the new year. Well, somebody actually keeps track of the most popular New Year's resolutions. So I thought it'd be interesting to look back at 2011 and see what were people really resolving to do last year. So the top 10 New Year's resolutions of 2011, number 10, take a trip. A whole lot of people wanted to go someplace different last year. Number 9, stop drinking. A lot of people resolved that they were going to stop drinking last year. Number eight, spend more time with my family. That's a good one, I think, to make up your mind to spend more time with your kids and your, your loved ones. Good. Number seven, get organized. How many have a desk at work that looks like an explosion occurred? This might be for you. Get more organized. Number eight, get six, I'm sorry, get a better job. Anybody hoping for that? Number five, volunteer more. Lots of people wanted to give themselves away last year. Number four, further my education. Learn something new. Number three, manage debt, save money. I think that's a good one too. I could use that. That's a good resolution. Number two, quit smoking. The number two resolution for last year, the most popular was quit smoking. And number one, anybody want to guess? Lose weight. That must be the same thing every year. Lose weight, exercise. The number one thing people wanted to do last year is lose weight. Who said eat? I'm probably more on that end. Well, this is kind of an interesting list, and there's nothing wrong, really, with any of it. But when I look at it, all except number 10, maybe, say, I want to be better. Americans looked at themselves last year and probably did this year too and said, what can I do to make myself better? I could stop drinking. Maybe I'd be better if I got more organized or I'd be a better person if I volunteered more or if I spend time with my family or if I could finally lose that extra 10 or 20 or whatever pounds, I would feel better about myself. So much of our time as Americans is consumed with being better. We want to be better. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be better. I would like to be better too. So 2012, I want to be a better person, a better father, a better husband. Nothing wrong with any of that. We're actually going to look at a passage today where Peter is talking to some folks who are going through some tough times and he's going to give them some advice on how to be better, better Christians, better living in their community. So why don't we pray and we'll jump right into 1 Peter. Father, I thank you again for an opportunity to look into your word and apply it to our lives. I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that you would make your scriptures come alive to us and embed them in our hearts and change us by it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read a chunk of scripture and then just pull out a couple of things that I think Peter's trying to tell these folks. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. 
but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so that your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So we've got the Apostle Peter writing to some people who actually um, have been scattered, have been persecuted, and have run to different parts of the country. And the regions that he's writing this to are a bunch of cities that are in what we would consider now southern Turkey. And he's writing to them to encourage them because of the troubles and the trials and the persecution that they're going through. And he wants to help them. He wants to tell them how they can survive what they're going through. So we need to look at it through the eyes of an alien, of a stranger living in a foreign land. Now, I have a fellow who works for me um, who is from Mexico. And he has been in this country now several years. And he moved up here with his family. And he's worked for me now for five years. But there's still some things that just don't register with him. Um, there are times when he'll be trying to tell me something and, and he just won't know the right English word. So he'll say, like, how do you say? And he'll try to describe the word that he's trying to use because it's foreign to him. His favorite holiday, we don't even celebrate. So he takes Cinco de Mayo off so he can celebrate something that in this country is not celebrated at all. At home, he lived on the same street as his entire family. His uncle lived on one side of him, his brother on the other, his parents, nieces, nephews, everybody lived on the same street. Now he lives in a subdivision and doesn't know anybody that lives next door to him. When we get to work on Monday mornings, we always talk about Sunday football. And he doesn't give a hoot about Sunday football. Football to him means absolutely nothing. If you say football, he thinks what we call soccer. And if you want to talk about the World Cup, He's into that discussion. But football's foreign to him. A lot of the things we do are foreign to him. He, as much as he loves this country, loves his job, lives here as an alien. He lives here as a foreigner. And that's what Peter calls these people. He says, to God's elect, God has chosen you, but you're strangers in this world and you're scattered. He calls them scattered exiles. He's telling them that, you live as transients. You live as temporary residents. Where you're ab abiding right now is not your home. You're scattered. This is not your native land. He calls them later in, in 14, he says, since you're this scattered exile, you need to live as strangers. There's a different way that you live here as an alien than you do as someone naturally born. So we have to live as foreigners. Peter's kind of writing for them the traveler's guide to their pilgrimage here 
while they're on earth. How to live, how to endure, how to put up with the alienation and the hardships that you're going to go through. And one of the main things he says, you can do this, you can go through this because you have to remember that you have a hope of a heavenly citizenship. You belong to another country. Our primary allegiance, their primary allegiance, is to God and God's kingdom. Not country, not home, not even their church, but to God first. They belong to Him, and because they belong to God, they have a job here. They might be aliens, they might be strangers, but they have a job. There's a purpose for them and for us while we're here. Peter knows what he's talking about. He knows this hope because he knew Jesus, right? He lived with them. He watched Jesus heal people. He watched Jesus feed thousands of people. He listened to Jesus talk. He denied Jesus and saw Him crucified. Then he saw Him raised again from the dead, and then he finally saw Him ascend into heaven and heard Him talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit. This hope for Peter is not wishful thinking. He knows because he knew who Jesus was. He knows that there's a better thing coming, that God has something for us because he knew who Jesus was intimately. We can live differently ourselves because this Jesus that Peter knows so well has changed us too. He's done something in us. And as aliens here, we have to respond differently to the world. Now, we could ignore what goes on around us. We could flee from it. We could fight against it. We could give up and conform to it. Or we can change it. We can be the agents that brings the kingdom of God into this foreign realm where we live. Think about Abraham, right? Called out of Ur, called out of the country he called home to go into a foreign land, go someplace where he didn't even know where he was going. The children of Israel, the same thing. They were called out to be separate people. They wound up in Egypt and then in the desert and then exile after exile. They were always occupied, always felt like leftovers and left out. God called them out not for a piece of property, not to have that little section of the planet we call the nation of Israel, but to be something, to be the people of God who will usher in His kingdom. It's the same calling we have. We are called out to be something special that will usher in the kingdom of God here on earth. We have to be concerned with how we live while we're living here. So how do we be better aliens? Well, one of the things Peter talks about is that aliens have to be prepared for action. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. That phrase, uh, prepare your minds for action, Paul uses, I mean Peter, uses this, uh, this metaphor, this euphemism that literally says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, what that means is, you know, the guys back then, they wore robes, and they're out in the fields working in these long robes, and, you know, they get tangled around your feet and stuff, so they would roll the robes up and tuck them in their belt so that they're free to move. When something happens, they can take off. They can, they can respond. So he's saying you have to do that to your mind. Your mind has to be ready to respond. You have to be prepared to go into action, to move, to be about the kingdom's business. When Jesus calls, when God speaks into your heart about something, you're ready to do something. You're ready to act. To do that, we have to be self-controlled. We have to submit our minds to God. And Paul kind of gives us a hint on how to do that. When Paul wrote, whatsoever things are pure 
whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are good, think about those things. So I have a question. Do we take that criteria and hold up the things that go into our minds to that criteria? Do we look at what we feed ourselves mentally according to the Word of God? Now, for me, I have a thing about movies. I like movies. I like the idea that I can watch this grand epic on a screen. And I could sit down and watch three, four movies a day. You know, I could just vegetate in front of Netflix all day long. But there are some things that just aren't good. And for me, I have to look at the reviews, read what people are saying, and there are some things I just don't want to watch. There are some movies that are so over-the-top violent and so ridiculous killings and murders, and I call them dead teenager flicks, you know, the kind of thing where everybody goes in and you go, don't go into that room, there's a killer in there. You know it, everybody knows it, except that guy. There's no point to it. I don't want to feed that to myself. I look at movies and, why is she not wearing clothes? I don't understand. But the thing is, see, for me, because I like movies, I have to control what goes on. I have to stop and say, I don't want that image in my head. I don't want to watch that. So for me, I have to turn the Netflix off, turn the TV off, and not allow that to enter into my head. Now, my wife got me this for Christmas two years ago, not this Christmas. This is my e-reader. It's a nook, and it is the best gift ever. I love this thing. It hasn't left my hands for a single day. Now, I love to read, but I'm not a good reader. It takes me a while to read a book, but this year I read 42 books. Now, some of you might say, well, that's nothing. I read three books a week. That's no big deal. Some of you might be saying, 42 books? Do they have pictures? (laughs) Because you just don't get that whole thing about reading books. But I have to be careful here, too. See, I like books about faith, and I like books that are mysteries, and I like science fiction, and all kinds of different things. And, and actually, I just read a book um, two or three books ago that was written by a well-known author that I knew about, and I read the premise of the book, and I liked the idea of the book, so I started reading it, and it was just trash. It was vulgar and violent and lewd. And you know, Have you ever seen something or read something, and afterwards you felt like you need a shower because it was just that ugly and dirty? That's the way that book was. I had to put it down. I just did not want that in my head. For me, I have to control those things. For you, you might be consumed with your day trading and what are your stocks doing or where's your money going or, or something else. What are the things that consume our thoughts? How do we control what it is so that when Jesus speaks, we're not so preoccupied with something else that we don't hear him? We control that. For me, it's the media that I feed on. We have to be realistic that there's a devil who is out to destroy us. And if he can get in your head through one of these things, for me, through movies, through literature, then he's got me. And he's taken me off of what Jesus might be trying to say. So I have to control that. I have to know that the things that enter my head can change and get stuck in my soul and cause me to sin. So we have to be realistic about how we have to prepare our hearts and protect our minds, spend our time in prayer and with other people who will encourage us and lift us up. The phrase perhaps would best be for us, roll up your sleeves, pull yourself together, and get ready to act. That's what Peter is saying. So that when God directs us, we are ready, we hear him, 
And then he says to set your hope fully on grace. We have to hope in grace. Now, grace is one of those funny words that's really kind of hard to describe to me. It's, it's God giving me something, something so great, so stupendous, there's no way I could ever earn it. But He gives it anyway. Out of this huge love, He gives us something. He comes and changes our world. And He says, there's something better. There's something good for you. How do you lift your head to heaven? How do you focus on grace? For some people, this worship music does it. The worship service is the, the prime part of your life, right? Music just lifts you up. For others, it might be something. For me, it's nature. I go outside and I look at trees and I look at plants and I hear birds and I go, what an incredible God. I can't believe he would do this for me. You know, God doesn't need blue jays, but he does that because I like it. How do you do that? How do you center yourself, get yourself focused on God, lift your heads up to heaven? God has something good. Someday it's going to even be better. Someday the glory that's going to be revealed is going to be beyond our imagining. It's beyond anything we could think about. And it's good. And God's preparing that for us for no reason other than He loves you. He cares about us. He wants us with Him. So Peter's telling them to prepare themselves, to be ready for action, and that is by using some self-control. But also remember that you have been rescued by grace and you have a hope of something better to come. So when Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me, he wasn't giving these ritualistic, militaristic things that you have to do in order to avoid punishment. What he was saying was, Here's something to orient your life around. Here is what's best for you. Your Father looks after you and knows what's best and has prepared something for you. Follow in these, in, in these ways. Do what I ask you to do. It will go better for you. Think about your life for a minute. How many messes would have been avoided if you just did things God's way? if you had just taken the time to think, what does God want me to do? Or if I just obeyed the Scriptures and followed those rules, this would not have happened to me. I can think of many instances where I know I blew it simply because I did what I knew I shouldn't have done. And if I had done what God said to do or not done what God said not to do, this mess would not have occurred. I think everybody's got one of those. You know, I tell my son all the time, you know, he's 12, and try to say, Sean, do things this way or do that. It'll be better if you just do what I'm telling you to do, you know. Math will come easier if you'll just listen to me. Now, sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes he'll look at me and he'll do things his way and he'll go, see? I go, okay, you were right this time. But God's never wrong. When God says, do things this way, this will work better for you. He's right. He's always right. Whatever he tells you, it's going to be right because his way is best. One of the best ways, I think, you and I can prepare our minds and our hearts is be in a small group. On the back of the bulletin, they're all listed there. If you're not in a small group, find one. Find some people that you can get together with. Dig into the Word. Worship with each other. Pray with each other. Confess to each other. Be part of that small group family. That is one of the best ways... I know of, to help you grow and be prepared. It is normal to take what the media feeds us, to sit down and turn the TV on and let it run. 
That's the easy thing. That's the normal thing. But it's an alien concept to be disciplined and to be discerning about what we feed our minds and our souls. So if we're going to be better aliens in 2012, we need to prepare ourselves for action. We need to be alert and ready to respond when Jesus gives us something to do, when he speaks to us. Well, I think another thing Peter tells him is that aliens are holy. He says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, holy is another one of those biblical concepts that are kind of hard for me personally to grasp. We get this image of this holy, righteous, pure God, and I'm supposed to be like that? How do we be like that? Well, the holy means really that we are separated from the world by the presence of God in us. It's nothing you and I do. We can do a whole lot of holy things and come to church and tithe 10%, read our Bible more. None of those things, as good as they are, make you and I holy. Those things come out of a holy lifestyle that's dedicated to God because God lives in us. His presence separates us from the world. His presence breaks the power of sin. As much as we may still mess up in our lives, the power of sin is broken. It doesn't control us anymore because the presence of God lives in us. His presence makes us holy. And love grows out of that. The love for this kind of God who would care so much about us that He would not only tell us the right things to do, but indwell us and empower us so we could. When I think about those things and the things that have been blessed in my life and the bad things that have been avoided, you can't help but love that kind of God who cares so much about you that He puts things in your path that are good for you, that He sets you up. Now, this separating, separating to God and away from the world does not mean that you divorce yourself entirely from culture, right? We don't go around and say, okay, now I'm a Christian, now I have to be holy, so I have to, you know, eat food only prepared by Christians and go to Christian schools and read Christian books and watch Christian movies and buy my clothes at the Christian Outfitters and all that stuff, you know. The good news kind of loses its potency a little bit if it's not out in the world that needs it. And we're the carriers of that good news. So we have to be in the world. But we're fundamentally different when we're there. Something has changed inside of that has made us holy, that God declared. Isn't it kind of neat to think about God looks at me and He looks at you And he sees us through the blood of his son. He sees Jesus who says, this is my boy. This is my girl. And God looks at you and he goes, I I like that guy. She's all right with me because he sees us through the blood of Jesus. He sees us redeemed and pure because of what he has done for us, not because of anything we've done for ourselves. Paul says that a soldier doesn't get involved in civilian affairs because he wants to please his commanding officer. There's a focus to what our lives have to be. There's, there's a God who loves us and gives us things to do and we listen to Him and we do those things and we frankly have to avoid other things to please our commanding officer. God's righteous decrees flow from His holy nature because He's holy, therefore what He does is holy and His holiness has entered us and changed our nature. And so the same thing happens to us. We pattern ourselves after Him And good deeds and good words aren't things we do to be holy, but they're things that flow out of a holy life that is in us because Jesus is in us. 
To be holy is just simply to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and learn to love your neighbor as yourself. God calls us out of an empty way of life into a purposeful life. It excites me to know that God has been to 2012 already and He's prepared things for us. He doesn't kind of wind you up and let you loose and say, here, go make a difference. There's the world and here's you. But He's made a plan for us. He set things out. He says, I've got something I want each of you to do and a way for each of you to live that is the very best plan for your life. And He goes with us and He leads us out into that to do something. But not just to do it, but He gives us the power to do it. He sets us apart and gives us His power to carry His presence out into the world. And you can do it a lot of different ways. Remind yourself that God is with you. You Maybe you make a habit of seeing people and saying a quick prayer for them as you walk by them. I know some folks, what do they call them, like arrow prayers or something, like bless that guy or touch your Lord or whatever. And what I do is I, I have in my briefcase a set of index cards with scriptures on it that remind me of who God says I am. One of those scriptures actually comes from 1 Peter 1 where he says, you are a chosen people. And I put my name in there. God says I'm chosen. God says I'm royal. You are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. God says I'm holy, I'm royal, I'm chosen. I'm his priest. That's what God says about me. So I use that to help carry the presence of God with me, to remind myself that God is there. It's easy to fit into culture, but it's an alien concept to instead focus on God instead of on ourselves and be that force to change the world. So we need this holy nature to carry with us when we go into the world. One other thing that I think Peter hits on is Aliens practice something called stretched love. It says, now if you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. This kind of love comes out of the purification that's already happened. You know, that God is already doing and changing in us. That makes us love. He gives us a new life. He promises us a new home. He promises us power to live. He promises that there is an opportunity to really be better And it's just crazy not to pursue it, not to share it with other people. This phrase, this word deeply, literally means stretched, a stretched love, a love that goes beyond what is comfortable, that goes beyond what is easy, that stretches itself out to love where love maybe isn't in existence. It's an intense love that sees a need and acts on that need. Now, sometimes... We see something, we see someone hurting, we see someone who could use some encouragement, and we feel like, ah, I can't say anything there. We kind of lack the courage, or we get all self-conscious, you know, and go, well, if I say something, they might, might think something weird about me, so I just won't say anything, you know, I'll just, I'll just keep on going about my business. Sometimes, frankly, we just simply consider my agenda more important than whatever else is going on, I've got things to do. I've got people to see, and I just can't be bothered with it right now. Sometimes, and this is really kind of my thing, is I don't even see it. I don't even see the needs around me. I don't even notice the person struggling because I'm focused on what I have to do. You know, I need to, even if it's, I need to go home and eat dinner, that just, that plan focuses me. I don't even notice the people hurting around me. I don't even see it. 
much less help, you know, ignore them. I don't even know they're there. But authentic love, real love, stretched love takes the time to look around and see what's happening in the world around us and takes the five minutes to say I love you and I care. It's deep and it's stretched. It goes beyond what's comfortable. It's self-sacrificing because you have a new desire to see the need of someone else and do what you can to meet that need. Right before Christmas, my daughter Bree was at the mall, the Granite Run Mall down here, um, you know, buying her Christmas presents and hurrying off to home, her and her husband. And um, so she and Mike are, are walking out to their car, and, and Bree notices this lady who is struggling. She's got an armload of packages in one hand and a cane in the other hand, and she's struggling to try to get down to the bus stop because the bus is there, and she's got to catch the bus. Now, first, if it was me, I probably would have never saw her because that's where God needs to work in my life. I would have never even noticed. But she noticed. And she put her packages down and went over to that lady and took her packages and helped her to the bus and helped her get on the bus and gave her her packages back. It took five minutes. Five minutes to look at a need and meet the need. And five minutes to say there is love in the world You don't have to struggle alone. Five minutes. Something that I never see. It takes a little bit of courage and a little bit of time to help someone who's struggling, to to speak a word of encouragement to someone who's sad or stressed out, to pray for someone who's struggling, having a hard time. Stretched love is sacrificial love. You know, in, in marriage you do this all the time. There are little opportunities to stretch and to love beyond what is comfort. You know, maybe she likes to have her feet rubbed, so you just do it, you know. Or maybe you like roast beef and mashed potatoes and gravy for dinner, and she makes that meal for you when she would have been happy with a bowl of cereal and a can of Coke. But you do those little things that are a little bit outside, out of love, because you care. That meant more to a lot of you people that I had no idea. If you're like me, you're one of those people who are rushing to get your thing done, let me suggest you just leave five minutes earlier. Just slow down. The key to stretched love is just slow down. Look. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Get out of your car at the mall and ask Jesus, what are you doing here? And look. He answers those prayers. He speaks to you when you ask him. And when you take the time to see what's happening, God will say, over there, say hi to that person. Meet that need. He will use us. And that's the way of the world to just have the me first mentality. You know, I am going to get mine before you get yours. And it's an alien concept to do this stretched love that seeks out the hurting and meets the needs. So if we're going to be better aliens in 2012, we need to learn to practice stretched love. You see, there's something to this. You have heard the cliche to be in the world but not of the world. Well, there's actually something to that. When we start paying attention to what goes on into our minds and focusing on the hope that God has for us and preparing ourselves and separating ourselves from the world and unto God and loving other people, different things begin to happen. We start laughing at different jokes. We... 
we spend our weekends just a little bit differently from the rest of the world. We, we see a world of hurting people and we do something about it instead of moving on past it to our next agenda. We are aliens. We're here for a short time, but we can be better while we're here. Now, 2012 might be a great year for you. I hope it is. It might be a really bad year. We don't know what's coming our way. But here's the thing. God does know what's coming our way. God's preparing us for it. He's preparing things for us when we get there. He can make us better. God can use us to be better aliens. Now, here's just some things that maybe you might want to take away and give a try. First, just get ready for action. I said it earlier, join a small group. If you're already in a small group, maybe pick up something for, for a few weeks, some kind of new discipline like um, take up fasting one meal a week, you know, just to put that aside to focus on God for just a little while. Maybe if you're a quiet, reserved person like me, you raise your hands in worship. You dance around a little bit. Get a little exuberant, you know. Show everyone else that you actually are happy. I'm talking to myself. Or maybe if you're one of those exuberant people who talks to everybody and you've always got a crowd around you, maybe practice some silence and solitude. Pick a time to get away alone. No noise, no radio, no people, you and God, and focus on Him. Secondly, be holy. Think about right now what's going on in my life. Are there some unhealthy things that I need to be separated from? Maybe you need to even find a partner and get that person to be accountable with you, to help you just be separate from something in your life that might be unhealthy and learn to listen to God. The prayer training that Rich mentioned is great for this. If you haven't taken it, take it. Learn how to tune your ears so you can hear what God is saying. And lastly, practice stretched love. Just slow down. Open your eyes to what's going on around you. Say those seven words that Mark is always talking about. Can I pray for you right now? Say them and then do that. Maybe teach Sunday school. I brag on Saturday nights because that's where we go most of the time. Saturday night there are eight new guys teaching Sunday school downstairs on Saturday night. Eight guys who have never before had to deal with a room full of ten-year-olds or five-year-olds but have taken this very big stretch to try to do that. Well, they need Sunday school teachers here too. Maybe that's you once a month, once every other month. Stretch a little bit. Love on those kids, the kids that you can't possibly control. Go down there and share the Word of God with them. Maybe it's this 22 days of prayer. Maybe for the next 22 days, you'll say, I'll stretch a little bit to spend some time each day praying for Bolivia. There's a lot of ways that God can work in us to change us, to make us better for 2012. Let's stand. We're going to take communion. If the servers can come up and the musicians can come up, this is a time where we just take a break and remember what Jesus has done for us and remember just how much we need Him.